Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Wayne Lloyd, who's the CEO of TraceSafe. They're in the wearables technology sector. Uh, we talked to them about their business last year, which is primarily focused on the track and trace, especially with COVID, that seemed quite popular, and where they're moving into the enterprise uh, sector. They do have some government contracts as well. So fascinated here, you know, how they started off, uh, where they are uh, today, and where they intend to go. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, on the company itself, uh, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We also provide detailed uh, analysis and company information on their market data. We've got training courses and also summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time because we know you're busy. And if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe environment, free from trolling and abuse uh, and judgment, which I think you might like, please go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Wayne, how are you doing, sir? Great, Matt. Thanks for having me. No problem. Okay, so we are going to talk tech today. Favorite of mine. Um, and we haven't, we don't, we don't get too many tech stories on here, but uh, the ones we get are pretty darn interesting. So we're about to hear about Trace Safe today. Um, best off. So with the pleasantries, where are you? Now we're in Vancouver, Canada. Right. Yeah, but really, the company is actually based uh, around the world. We've got office in Singapore, India, and down in Los Angeles. Oh, fantastic. Okay, good stuff. Um, and tell, tell me, before we kind of kick off, um, what's your background? My background, I come from financial services, um, worked uh, for a family office doing some uh, portfolio management and eventually got involved in technology. I've um, working in tech, um, real specialty in technology M&A for the last 10 years. Right, okay, from that side of things. Okay, fine. Well, like, why don't we start off? Give us a one-minute overview of um, Trace and um, well, Trace Safe, sorry. Um, and can you also clarify while he's doing it? You've got Trace Safe Inc. Is that different from Trace Safe? Trace Safe Inc. and Trace Safe Technologies. So we do have an operating company in the United States, and there's a there's a you know just for the way the company is structured. Um, I'm the CEO of the parent company, and there's an operating team uh, with a technologist led by a technologist named Dennis Kwan, who's uh, you know incredibly talented guy, many many years in the wearable space and embedded tech. Got it. Okay. Right. Thanks for the explanation of the difference. But uh, so tell us about the company itself. Then, what are you setting out to do? Yeah. So TraceSafe is a, uh, a wearables technology company, and they effectively started out of the med tech world. Um, doing um, infant tracking uh, in maternity wards. So they built a really uh, robust cloud platform uh, that would manage that system from a, a security standpoint, a privacy standpoint, and, um, and obviously an accuracy and a performance standpoint. Um, started out in really the most demanding environment in the world with the most vulnerable customers in the world, which are babies. And so built a very impressive and bulletproof cloud platform and uh, sort of total stack for, for the wearables. It's very impressive. They made um, a great name for themselves transitioning that and helping out many governments around the world uh, with the global pandemic that's been upon us. And now looking to all of the amazing uh, new verticals that are emerging um, sort of in a post-pandemic world. Okay. so Dick I mean, during COVID, COVID, there's lots of new innovation that's come up during COVID and, you know, 
in terms of testing and tracing and tracking and so forth. And I think a lot of those companies, you know, people's view of them is that they're just temporary. They're here while COVID is here. When COVID's gone, don't need them anymore, right? So I'm keen today to understand um, perhaps what is it that you saw in the original um, technology, so where because there's a hardware component and a software component to it, and where do you think you can take this? So maybe if you don't mind describing how you got together with um, you know Dennis Kwan, for instance, and who owns what? Sure, yeah, no, it's a very interesting story. So, like I said, the they had built a, an incredible platform, really, and the platform was a cloud um, a cloud SaaS platform that really um, you know, there's, there were, there were a lot of, uh, players that came about inside the pandemic, um, that were trying to sell sort of contact tracing equipment, you know, cheap stuff from Alibaba sort of strung together. Um, this is really a full, full fledged cloud solution. So this is, uh, this is something where they have total control of the, of how the wearables interact. Um, this is a massive IOT play, um, they happen to just be focused on people and and the things that move and really the most valuable assets in your in your company, so the what we saw was the ultimate scalable platform and I think we've seen that we're doing about 15 million interactions per day uh, on our platform and growing all the time as we add new corporate customers, new government customers, and um, it was really that. So the the SaaS platform and the software platform was really important. But even more important to that was the hardware system. The hardware system is really the key and having a team that understands how to uh, build and optimize these embedded systems from the silicon level and the firmware level, it's, it's really vitally important to having this, these things successful. Um, and, and so that was really the full package of what we saw. That's a lot, the flexibility in the cloud platform is really what's allowing us to move very quickly, very efficiently into these new verticals. Um, and we can talk a little bit about those verticals. If, uh, if yeah, well, let's, let's talk about it because technology companies sometimes get sucked down at the hole of, you know, worshipping the tech and not necessarily talking about the problems that they're solving, right? So I'm, I'm really keen to understand, again, what the, what, the, what the current problems that are being solved are yeah, and where you think this thing can go. So you, you've, got, you've got a product suite at the moment, obviously, you know, aimed at what? So right now, so obviously we're 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 in the midst of servicing customers that are that are still sort of in in the throes of the of the pandemic, um, and at the same time, our team is really focused on innovating and, sh and showing these next um, uh, categories of products. We're deploying to companies with a contact tracing solution, but the the devices that we're sending them are geared up and designed to do so much more. So there's so much more capability in the devices that we can start to un, un, unveil as, uh, as, the, you know, as the situation changes. Um, I would say in the hospitality space, what you have is a situation where the biggest companies in the world are creating the best experiences, these premium experiences. And, um, and what that means is a lot of convenience and attention to detail. So for example, if you go to Disneyland, you can have a premium experience with the, their magic band. Right. This is a, a wearable that interacts with the food and beverage service. It interacts with the ride. You don't have to stand in line so long and, and, and on and on. And so Disneyland has this tech and they they, um, you know, they obviously command a premium, the premium side of that entertainment market as a result. Um, we are able to give some of those same experiences to 
other people in the market. Um, so the wearable that we're deploying that was originally deployed for you know contact tracing purpose has many many different radios in it, many pieces of functionality that you can unlock. These are things where you know on a cruise ship experience you might be able to unlock the room key door. So you're you have this single device, and instead of it feeling like you know um, you know some sort of unnecessary safety device, it's something that gets interact. Uh, integrated into your entire experience. So it's your, you know, interacts with food and beverage. Um, it's your room key, it's your payments, it's everything. So it really feels like that seamless um, sort of elevated experience. Um, in an enterprise context, it's a little bit different. You know, you're looking at um, how are employers going to be using wearables to help make their employee experience a little bit better. People are transitioning from, we're gonna be transitioning from work to home back to a workplace. There's a little bit of considerations around how to address you know, certain things, um, but ultimately you wanna make your workplaces better. You wanna you want to make them more engaging. You wanna have happier workers, um, happier employees. And so these are, these are devices that can sort of help understand um, safety issues. So when you're going to be interacting with uh, places that may be dangerous at your workplace in a construction uh, atmosphere or otherwise, um, when you may be, you know, it can measure sort of things around your engagement, um, your productivity. Um, so, you know, th these are, these are issues where there's, there might be some, some problems where, you know, you don't have enough support at work. You're doing a certain job that is uh, highly specialized but it turns out you're actually doing a bunch of things that are not related to that sort of uh, high impact thing. Um, and so you'd be able to, you know, employers are gonna be able to measure these things, bring in new support, help understand where their problems and bottlenecks are from a productivity standpoint. If you imagine sort of a uh, work, you know, workplace automation, um, you know, the way that a Bosch factory might work in Germany, you can sort of bring, that's a very, very controlled environment um, you can start bringing those workplace efficiencies to places that are not so controlled and start understanding that data at a very fine level. So that's what the wearable opportunity really unlocks for employers and workplaces. And we're really at the forefront of that. We're working with Deloitte, um, who has previously talked about the workplace wearable segment being a $60 billion segment. Uh, and they have a huge focus on, on rolling that out. Um, so yeah, we've been excited to work with Singapore government excited to work with uh, market leaders like Deloitte and uh, and really kind of forward thinking enterprises around the, the entertainment and hospitality business as well. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. It might be worth actually just explaining some of those use cases because because again, the, I think that the, pr the process that you've been through is quite interesting to me because you've explained where you started and where mm -hmm. and what's evolved from that. Um, but you've also been able to generate revenue through this. And I think most sort of um, startup Technology businesses struggle with the revenue component. Big on ideas, big on mm -hmm. theory, yeah, <laughs> and and big on talk. But you've managed to yeah. deal with the cash component too, which is which helps going forward, right? Because it shows one you've got financial acumen or you know commercial acumen, I should say, and that you understand how to get into markets. And really, then it's a case of, as you, which I'm sure we'll get into, is well, how, how do I redeploy this technology into other. Uh, economic opportunities. So what, mm -hmm. talk, talk me through that little journey up until the point where you are now. We've been very lucky um, in that we've been able to iterate on the product fast. Um, probably one of our biggest advantages is speed to market, listening to our customers, understanding what they want, 
um, really working closely to help define the products from a customer needs perspective and then iterating very quickly. The reason we can iterate so quickly is because we own the entire technology stack. We own the cloud. We own all, you know, all the firmware, all the embedded stuff. So we don't really have any roadblocks. The only roadblocks we have are, is our ability to execute. Um, and luckily we've been blessed with a team that is just so high performing when it comes to new product innovation, breaking down that product, delivering it, uh, not just at a prototype, but at a very commercial level and a commercial level that is a high volume. You know, you look at some of our customer orders that we've been fulfilling, talking about 60,000 wearables. So these are, these are, these are, these are really uh, orders that are coming in at scale. These are not proof of concept things. These are, and these are some of the most demanding customers in the world working hand in hand with the highest performing uh, management consulting firms. So we're really a part of that, that, uh, that entire story. Um, I think the other thing we've been really fortunate to have is, um, you know, having this really mature technology, having some of these uh, veterans in the industry has allowed us to attract some talent um, particularly from the revenue side uh, and sales side. So we've attracted industry veterans. Uh, Gord Zielstra is our chief revenue officer. Gord comes to us by way of uh, SAP and, uh, uh, and others. He has just an incredible background and network for selling really B2B SaaS systems, uh, complicated, um, you know, multi-step uh, deliveries, um, which is what we need because we're delivering a software component, we're delivering a hardware component. So there's really an on-the-ground deployment that's required. Um, so these are not these are complex deployments, but you know the, these are these are also highly rewarding financially deployments. Um, and once you can get to scale, continually offering, you know, the hardware is sort of a one-time purchase. But the software and the new opportunities you unlock as you as you move forward with the customer, that's where the real richness of the revenue comes in. Absolutely. Tell me this, because again, I'm, I'm looking at the eye-catching bits, and one of the eye-catching bits was working with the Singaporean Minister, Minister of Health, or the, the, the Health Department. I'm not quite sure of the phrase. When you start working with governments, money starts becoming a little bit easier to come by, typically. And they, they, those government contracts are what people seek. How do you manage to get in there so quick? So we had a very experienced team in Singapore who has been delivering IoT deployments um, for decades. Uh, you know, really this, this industry has been around, you know, since I would say 2013, 2014. We have some of the strongest people in that region uh, working with us and working for us. Um, the, um, I would say it's really great to work with Singapore government um, and all the different agencies and even companies in Singapore, there's a great public-private partnership model that happens there where they're able to unlock a lot of innovation and sort of de-risk a lot of these projects for the Singaporean companies. Um, and it's an incredibly powerful model. So you're, you're, you're totally right. We've worked with, you know, the, at the agency level, um, which obviously is a complex and highly demanding customer. Singapore government is known as being one of the most technologically innovative um, regions, countries, governments. Um, and so they, they, they are an incredibly, um, you know, valuable and, you know, uh, you know, have high standards for, for what's delivered. Um, so that's been really great. And what that means is, is that once you've delivered to a customer like that, that has such high standards and is known for, you know, has such a great reputation for innovation, the other contracts sort of come 
quite naturally because a lot of the due diligence and a lot of the heavy lifting, they sort of, a lot of those other countries sort of regionally look to Singapore for leadership. And if it passes that test, then, you know, you have a real, uh, a much easier time. And, and, and that's what we've done. So we've done a lot of the hard work and heavy lifting early on working with those, 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 those uh, customers with incredibly high standards. And that's paying off dividends now because we've been able to define the product correctly. Um, and we have really great flexibility to deliver the solutions that are required. Right. Thanks for that. And I agree with you. I think that almost like the Singapore government has done the hard work for you because it was good enough for them. Well, it was good enough for a lot of people. Right. Okay. So we're talking about the Internet of Things and we're talking about the Internet of Places. And that's about getting data to make better decisions, decisions mm -hmm. which may save um, companies, countries, uh, money um, and time and all of those wonderful things. Where do you think people fit into this? Because you know, you, you've, you've, you've talked about different ways of deploying the, um, the, 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 the technology, we'll call it for now, um, the, you know, on your wrists, in your vests, on hats, on whatever wearables you know, people are being asked to wear. It's, it kind of feels like a sort of one way street at the moment. It's all about the employer rather mm -hmm. than the individuals. Are there applications that you see where you're around safety or wellness, where the people wearing these things wear them willingly? rather than a sort of kind of captive audience. Absolutely. I mean, I think that we look at all the ways that um, technologies enhanced our lives. Um, and, you know, really what we want to do is make people's jobs easier. And I think that these wearable, uh, these wearable technology pieces, it's really about a connected worker story. So, you know, you're, you're, you're connected to different pieces of equipment, different pieces of uh, uh, and places in your workplace. Um, and it's really about, you know, we do overemphasize the story about, you know, productivity and having a high ROI because there is a commercial consideration to be made about why you put these in. And, uh, and that's important. It's really important in a capitalist society to be constantly um, providing efficiencies and, and moving things forward. But from a from a, a, the perspective of, of someone, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone that feels that, you know, there are, there, are, there are costs and benefits to everything, but people would be very reticent to give up any of the technology advancements that we've had in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, whether it's from the smartphone or, or, or anything. And um, so I do think that uh, these are devices that are gonna be, make people happier in their workplaces, uh, more fulfilled, make their jobs easier, um, and, and more efficient to do and uh, just lead to overall more fulfillment in the workplace. I think employee, um, you know, well-being uh, in the workplace is, is, is a place that uh, employers are focused right now. And it, these are technologies that are going to make the pie bigger for everyone um, overall. Okay. Well, I guess it's down to the, the companies themselves to also uh, communicate that. Um, let's talk hardware, software. Okay. Because right now we're, we've been talking a lot about the hardware components, you know, how people, where your software sits. And, and right, right now, there's stuff that you're building, you're in control of. But eventually, the, the money's got to be in the software, right? Because um, there are lots of wearables out there. And if you can start interacting with some of those wearables and be the control system, that, that's much more attractive um, than perhaps producing hardware. 
Because, well, first of all, better margins, right? Well, the, the hardware is largely commoditized. I think that um, if you look at it, there's very mature ecosystems that, um, that we interact with. Now, obviously, we're sort of kind of top of the food chain when it comes to, you know, um, developing custom plastics, developing all this stuff from a, you know, taking a fundamental approach. But still, the, the, the supply chain and the, and the world of wearables is, very, is a very mature uh, stack. Where you can really add value is in the software layer. And so that software is really about creating a seamless link between the hardware and that, that cloud layer. So I don't want to discount the, the hardware entirely because it's really, it's a part of that, that connection is a, is a part of the software story as well. Um, but the software is really what allows you to unlock a lot of the data, um, a lot of the functionality, a lot of the things that people really care about. You know, you have, um, you know, uh, hardware deployed, but a lot of the control systems, a lot of the thing that, that, that actually make it run and add value do live in that software layer. At the beginning of our journey, we were sort of about 20% of our revenues were from software and about 80% of our revenues were from hardware. Now, we've moved to a, to a point where our typical contract is about 50% software and 50% hardware. And we see a trajectory where we're going where, you know, the hardware component is going to go to about 20% and the, and the software component is going to go to 80%. And I can see a future where the hardware component becomes something that is just part of the offering and it's a free piece. There's, so there's no friction to uh, gaining new customers. Um, we, we take that layer away entirely. Um, we're not there yet, but we're really, we're definitely on that journey and we're, we're, we're making strides every day. And we're about 50-50 now, um, uh, which, is, which is a huge improvement and, and, and working towards that 80-20, 80% uh, software. Yeah, it's a it's a model. It's not a new model. It's in, in that sense, but it'll be interesting to see which route you go down. You know, because mm -hmm. we, we've we've uh, kind of seen it with you know headsets. People give you the headset for free, but you pay for the music, all that kind of stuff. And I think people are used to buying buying and interacting in different ways. But it's got to be got to be good for you to kind of focus on the software for sure. You mentioned a number earlier, which is a very big number now, and I suspect will be getting bigger, which is a sixty billion. Uh, uh, number put on by Deloitte around wearables. Is, mm -hmm. is that where we are today or is that a future? No, I think they think we're going to get there to, in 2024, 20, 25. So it's a, it's a process, right? They, um, they are focused on working with companies to help specify what they really need and then working with partners like us um, that helps sort of deliver on that promise, right? We are the are the are the platform that really delivers on on the uh, on the premise that this is going to make people more efficient, create better experiences, and so on. Right, but you, you you as a business, you as the CEO, need to be very clear about what business you're in. And we've talked about a lot, of, a few moving parts today in terms of hardware, software, different applications, different different uh, data sets, etc. But do you know what business you're in? Because if you know what business you're in, you can know the size of that market and how you go about capturing as much of that as possible. So how are you defining it? So we define ourselves as a kind of a connected worker, future of work play. And that is really where we are. Um, now, the future of work, um, it, it, it bleeds over into the hospitality business because 
how those, how you deliver a hospitality experience to your customers is part of how that work, uh, that work happens, you know, from, a from, you know, delivering the experience. And so, um, that's where we, that's where we sit. We feel like this is a multi year, you know, perhaps decade long trend to play out to fully sort of uh, capture the market. Um, and we feel there's no company better positioned to capture that market than TraySafe because they do have that sort of 10 year track record of delivering these solutions at scale. Um, so yeah, that we're definitely a, a future of work connected worker play. Right, which, which would be a new term for most people. And I suggest a, a new term for your sales team to go and sell into, you know, wh- whoever they're selling into. So I, I'm interested, what are those baby steps that you're taking to kind of get get to where you want to be? Like, what are you tackling first? Like, we get the kind of tra- track and trace bit now, but he's saying but that's, that's step number one for you. So how do you see this progression or say over the next couple of years, where are you targeting your money, your time, your attention? So I think what it starts with is the product capabilities. So if you look into the hardware side, um, what can this wearable do, right? What radio sets does it have? Is it capturing information about motion? Is it capturing information about location? Um, So that's the most important thing, I would say, as a first step, which we've taken. And we're going to talk about some of our product launches in the very near future, the capabilities. Um, I think, you know, it's not a surprise that we're working on motion capture technology that sort of can help um, understand what's going on with uh, with the wearable user. Uh, it's a very common technique, but then how we how we move that data into the software layer, uh, into the cloud, and sort of crunch all that data and start understanding some of those some of those um, business insights um, is probably where you know as a as you know it's kind of, it's not a, it's not a step two necessarily. It's all part of the same trajectory. But that is that's really where the value will be unlocked. You know, um, a lot of devices can talk to you about how many steps you've done during a day, um, but not a lot of devices can give you sort of more deep insights about where you went, what you did, how it could be improved, and all those sorts of things. So, the, going back to our conversation, the software layer is really what unlocks a lot of the business intelligence and, and opportunity sets. Okay, so. Th- Looking at your share chart, I think people got very excited during COVID about what you were going to be able to do. And it came off a bit uh, towards the end of, of the year, but you're sort of back up, you know, at or slightly above where the, the peaks of last year. But the story's changed. People's understanding of what you're trying to do has changed. Well, the market's changed. The, the demand, I would say the demand part of the market has changed. We listen to our customers. I think is the most important thing. And when there's a market, you sell into it. And so what we're seeing now is we're seeing the market transition from, okay, we needed a quick solution to be deployed. Um, and now what we need is we need to know what the future of work looks like for our, for our people uh, going forward. And how do we, now that we have these wearables in the, in the workplace, what can we do with them? What's the next kind of phase of, uh, of what it is? And this is where it becomes really exciting because the devices, the, the cloud, uh, the software becomes a platform to build on. And you could sort of, you know, as long as you're listening to your customers, you're getting their feedback, you're incorporating that into our product, you're going to be able to sort of, because we've delivered the most devices out there, 
we have the most customers, we have, we have a lot of these things, we have a lot of advantages when it comes to iterating on the product and making it better and being ahead of the curve. Um, so I think we take that as our strength and uh, we're going to be definitely doubling down on that uh, going forward. Right. Okay. You're next finance guy. You're, you're a nearly 50 million bucks company, but it's kind of time to grow up a little bit now in terms of the way that you approach the marketplace. So you're going to, I mean, where are you listed at the moment? Which exchange? We're listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange. And, um, you know, we've had, we've had really great uh, luck as far as our financial partners, um, our supply chain vendors, that we've been able to be very capital efficient to deliver some of these huge sizable orders, right? Um, I think going forward, as we start to gain visibility into our contracts and, and what happens, um, we're going to need a little, quite a bit more capital bandwidth to execute on the vision. And so we've always taken a fairly, um, you know, we want to make sure that we have relative certainty about what we're, what our, what our plan is that we're able to execute on before we go and do it. We don't have a strategy of just let's raise a whole bunch of money and then try to figure it out later. We want to have very highly targeted, uh, you know, surgical opportunities that we can go after and exploit that are going to be value creating for shareholders. Um, so that's probably the next step, step of our journey. We're still in a very uh, comfortable growth cycle as far as our current capital partners and, and, and setup. Um, but the opportunities are, are getting much, much bigger. That's, well, that's my point. You're, you're going to come up, you know, have your back against the wall at some points if you don't kind of sort the financing out. So one, the ability to go and get capital because, mm -hmm. you know, with hardware, sometimes you just need a lot of capital to kind mm -hmm. of move things along. And to be seen in the right vein, you're going to have to be on the right exchange because I know you are. You guys are all over the world. Absolutely. but You're going to have to. You're going to have to that's what I mean about it. it's slightly growing pains, as it were. You need to be viewed. The optics needs to look right, so you're conscious yeah. of that. It's very. It's a very great point. I mean, we are, and we've been. That's been a topic of conversation internally um, and with some of our stakeholders is about getting to an uplisting situation. Um, uh, moving to a more mature market um, where we're going to be able to expand our capital bandwidth um, uh, easier. And uh, yeah, so we're actively looking at that right now. So I think, um, you know, we have uh, big um, things happening in the background and uh, uh, we'll be able to announce some of that stuff uh, in the near future. Well, I, th I think we've had, we had a stack of questions sent in from all over the place and, you know, I think people's, if there's any frustration to this, it's about the lack of information which is coming from the company. Because well, maybe you can, maybe you can, or you can't. Um, but is that something that we can see more of in terms of understanding the, the the revenues and where the deals are, which industries, which companies? Yeah, I mean, I think we've been fairly transparent about. You know, I think one of the things that we see in a junior market is that um, you know people want people talk a lot about. Um, you know the 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 revenue factor and the uh, and the names of the customers and um, you know when you're and so we see a lot of uh, we see a bit of that in the promotional aspect of uh, in some people and the reality is when you're dealing with governments and you're dealing with you know multi billion dollar enterprises you know a lot of the time uh, there's a confidentiality consideration and there's also 
um, a consideration around pricing transparency in particularly B2B software that you don't want to give off. And so, um, you know, our, I mean, we're very transparent, continuously reporting company. Uh, it's very easy to see our, our margins and our, and our revenues in our financial statements. Um, we will be, uh, we're, we're hoping to move to a more mature disclosure environment around, you know, our quarterly numbers, um, you know, continually announcing that. Uh, that's something that we're working with our legal and, and our, our, our finance team on. Right. And what sort of mix of shareholders are you looking for? Because with retail comes the fervor, the excitement and, and, the, and the buzz and the liquidity, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it can be quite time consuming. Um, you know, so what, what kind of split are you looking for? Because the institutional gives you some kind of solidity, maybe access to capital, uh, and again, that kind of matureness. So how, how do you deal with that when you're a sort of smaller company? Yeah, I think the we have a great shareholder base right now. And the more people we can attract to the um, opportunity that can understand what our mission is and how we're, we're executing the better. Um, so whether that's more retail investors, you know, the, everyone's welcome, um, whether it's some institutional investors, uh, I think a lot of the institutions are going to start waking up to the story and sort of realizing they, they, that this is, a, this is an important trend happening in the market and that we're a great proxy to play that from. Um, but it's, uh, it's uh, you know, over time, we'll, the, the, the shareholder base will mature with a lot more institutional uh, sponsorship, I believe. Right. And are you considering um, the complete gamut of options available to you in terms of upscaling the, the exchange? Because you've kind of got these big tech bub- bubbles in the States, London, Frankfurt, even Singapore. But Canada is not really known for that, is it? No, but I mean, you've had some incredible uh, homegrown Canadian technology success stories in Shopify, um, you know, and others. So, you know, there, there is a great tech scene here. Uh, there is a supportive uh, shareholder base for technology companies, people trying to understand these things. Obviously, it's known more for the resource market, but, uh, you know, I'm Canadian. We have a Canadian, you know, a, a, a quite a few Canadian team members. So we think that the Canadian capital markets are still a great place to uh, to do a technology company like this. And um, but we we there's there's a, a certain point where you you may outgrow that that uh, that market and uh we're 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 very cognizant of that and, and and looking at what's what's available perfect wayne look appreciate your uh time today sounds like you've got a pretty good thing going on there and we're delighted you came on our show and told us all about it um any thoughts that you want to leave people with what should they be looking forward to yeah i just think watching the next uh, few quarters uh, I think people will be very pleased with the progress we're making. The customer mix that we've uh, that we've gone after is a very high end, premium set of the the, uh, the market. Um, and uh, I think the I'm really proud of the way the team's executing, both a sales perspective, landing some of the biggest customers in the world, um, and from a product perspective, uh, being able to iterate and move the product very fast, stay ahead of our competition, and, and deliver for our customers. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.